piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast by film students about movies, making movies, and other stuff. Hey everyone, welcome back to Around the Craft Table. We've been on hiatus for quite a while, but we are back with an exciting new episode. I'm your host, Miranda, and today I'm joined by um, our regulars on the podcast, Miles. Hello. And Jermel. Hey. And today we're joined by um, some fellow filmmakers and creatives. We've got Nick here. Hello. We've got Joel. Hey there. And we've got uh, Jared, Hi. who's been on the podcast before. Um, so we're going to be talking today about uh, Nick's film called Find Love. Um, so why don't we go around the room and you guys can talk just a little bit about yourselves, um, your background in film, just so people get a bit of context about you, and then we'll kind of dive into the film as a whole and about the process. So why don't we start with you, Nick? Okay. Um, oh, beer's already... I'm a 20-year veteran of the military. Uh, sort of got into filmmaking uh, back in about 2001. Just kind of stumbled into a group of like-minded folks, kind of like what's happened here with you guys. But just, uh, I was in Victoria, which I guess people from Victoria would say is the heart of filmmaking in Canada. I guess the West Coast. So I just stumbled into a group of people there and just kind of started talking, hanging out. And next thing you know, we were working, uh, we four of us kind of banded together and we wanted to work on a documentary um, about this heroin addict in Victoria <coughs> who, uh, he was basically like a trust fund kid. Like he got like $10,000 a month or something from this trust fund. But he was living in this like heroin hotel downtown Victoria. So we met this guy and he just, he just had this most, the most amazing story. And all four of us were like, oh my God, we got to tell this story. So we kind of got ourselves together. Here's, you know, we kind of wrote a little bit. Here's what we're going to do. And then, um, and then the guy up and died. So we never got to do anything about it. Plot, plot twist Ooh. there. There goes your movie. So we never got to make it. We never got to make it at all. should have started it and then just immediately ended as soon as the credits like started. Well, that's, that, that, that would have been it. So. Um, we, we didn't know he had died. We had like followed tips, like private eyes around Victoria and Vancouver. Somebody who's seen him last ended up in like super sketchy parts of Vancouver looking for this guy. It's like, oh yeah, David Sketch. And his name was Sketch. His last name was of course, Sketch. Of course it was. Right? Wow. Of course it was. It was perfect. It was amazing. And then uh, came to find out that he had died like six months before the whole time we were looking for him. He had actually been dead the whole time. So we got to talk to him once, get some story out of him, and then that was Did it. Did you get any No. No. Not at all. None. Didn't even write down that initial conversation. Oh, that we had. Cause, yeah, because I know that hotel in Victoria, and you yeah, could have talked yeah. to anybody, and probably would have got him. Yeah. You would have been able to get. So some that was kind of. That's how we started, or that's how I started in this. Is like that massive disappointment of that. Oh, man. So if would you, did you guys watch the our film? Yes. Today? Yeah. So you saw at the beginning with the record. Yes. When it yeah. zooms down on the record, well, if you look to the left of the record, there's a province of British Columbia death certificate. And oh, that says that's that David is. Sketch's death certificate. Huh. No one can really see it because we filmed that back in like 2001 and 2002. Like that in your, production, yeah. your production sign at the beginning just has a staple of like yeah of where we came from. Yeah. Nice, nice. Oh. That's so. And that that's there, that's not story. even the raw footage. That was uh, that's a YouTube capture. 
because none of the DV tapes are like demagnetized and you can't get anything off them anymore after a couple of years of garbage, right? Yeah. So I had to cut that off of YouTube. And Jeez. Anyway. <laughs> so so that's, that's where I came. That's kind of the first introduction I had to, um, you know, besides that, the general love of movies that all of us has. You know, I never went to school for I anything. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Movies? I hate them. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> So why that? To audiobooks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, are you Victoria born and raised? Mm-hmm. No. So I was born in uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario. Okay. And then moved out to Halifax, and then moved to Victoria. Um, and kind of, I like to say, had my formative years in Victoria. You know, where your brain is kind of blanked, and you get to start over. That's my time in Victoria. So when people ask where I'm from, instead of from Victoria. So I never went to uh, school or anything for uh, for for films. I just, I mean, I always loved films and filmmaking, and like I said, got together with a like-minded group of fellas, and that's where LP Productions came from. Was all the way back then. Mm-hmm. So after that, we kind of did a, we did some forty-hour uh, contests and commercials and um, like corporate events. Um, Dragon Ball Racing is really big out there, so we did uh, we did a whole huge thing on this uh, charity Dragon Ball race before drones, so there's no... Now when you watch Dragon Ball footage and it's just all drone shots. <laughs> For us, it was us in the boats next to them or in like power boats next to them. Yeah. So we did that kind of thing and then uh, such as the way in the military, you uh, get sent different directions as the people around you and then you just drop off. So I took, let's say, 10, 12 years. I didn't have anything to do with filmmaking at all, no writing, no... <clears throat> getting involved in anything until I got back to Winnipeg and hooked up with these clowns. Wow. That's Jared, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Miles. Aw. And Carter, if you guys know Carter. It's yeah. a great so. story. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Hell of a way to start. Yeah. So, uh, Joel, we went over to you. Tell us uh, about a little bit about Joel's Now he's going to show me up with his <laughs> I, cool story. I can't even top that. Yeah, that's so wrong. Oddly, though, so... Nick and I have similar paths, um, so I'm also a 20-year veteran of the military. We're both officers. Uh, we work in the same squadron, at least for the meantime. And uh, but my my journey's a little bit different. So I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, which is an amazing place to be from because it makes everywhere else look good, <laughs> uh, which is a wonderful thing. I um, went to Dalhousie. I took film studies at Dalhousie University in Halifax. Um, But I didn't really do anything with it. Um, I started in film long before I went to school with film. Before I joined the military, I was doing extra work. I was doing like uh, like uh, catering jobs on set and then I would I met some people so then I started to get other opportunities so then I started to work a little bit um, with the crew and then but it, it you know it didn't really it didn't pay the bills so to speak right so uh, then I joined the military and uh, that took me to Halifax where then I went to university and then uh, the military wasn't super thrilled about me doing a film studies degree, mm-hmm. so they made me switch to business because they were paying the, for Lame. it, right? So they made, yeah, they, made, yeah, they made me switch to business. <coughs> However, um, you know, in in some ways, I'm glad that happened because business is a good degree to have. It's a professional degree. It's, it, and I still have the film background to a certain degree and and you know uh, like Nick would attest to well everyone here probably would you learn a lot on set 
You probably yeah. more, learn more on set than you do in classrooms. I know I taught in the military, and I know Nick's been involved in the, the learning side in the military, and I would always tell my students in the military, you know, I'm teaching you this, but what you really need to know, you're going to learn out there. Yeah. And, and, and that's true with film, I think. So... So then I got posted like Nick. You, you get posted all over the place. You, you meet people. So I, I got posted. I was in Victoria at the same time he was in Victoria. Then I got posted to Halifax. Then I got posted to Borden, Ontario. And so you kind of drop off things, you know, and you just pick up new things. And I always played in bands, um, much like you, and uh, and but again with the military, you, that you move and things drop off. So uh, then I came here, and uh, Nick was here, and then we connected. And he's like, "Hey, I'm working on a film." I think actually one time I was I was driving downtown one night, and he's, these guys were out on the sidewalk, and I was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And they're like, "We're making a film." I'm like, "Oh, I love making films. Like, <laughs> if you ever make a film, let me know." She's like, "Yeah." So then. Fast forward, he's like, hey, I'm going to make a film. you want to be involved? I'm like, sure. So that's how I got involved with it. And i uh, happy I was involved with it because I meet all kinds of great people, work with awesome professionals who, who really know their craft and, uh, and got to be part of something I think that's really awesome. He's selling himself short, too. He lived <laughs> he lived in a warehouse with the bare naked ladies. Oh, that's, yeah, that is that's true. That's my highlight so, okay, so, yeah, of yeah. his history. Excuse me? I was trying to expedite my story. So With the bare naked ladies. So, not just bare naked ladies. That, that, <laughs> when I told you that I was, I was working on films and stuff like that in the early 90s, I was living in an artist live workspace warehouse in downtown Toronto, in, well, in the West End of Toronto, um, Sorarn Avenue, anybody who knows the film industry, there's like um, like Niagara, um, Sororan, all these warehouses where independent film houses would have uh, offices in there and stuff like that. So I was living in one of these spaces and my next door neighbor happened to be Jim Cregan, I think if I'm saying his name correctly, the bass player from the Baronaca Ladies was my neighbor. And I played in like a like a, a doom metal band, so and then they and they everybody practiced in their space, right? Yeah. And they and they practiced next door, so it it would go from like that's my band, and then it would go to you know we never really knew, and it, and it was this like weird juxtaposition of of sound. It was bizarre, but sometimes when I wasn't practicing, I'd have to sit through it, and you can attest to this: the stopping and starting of of that and they were they were writing that the Gordon album at that oh, time. That's awesome. Yeah, so I was getting like 30 second chunks of the Gordon album all over the time. Over, yeah. And then so in order to fund so it was all artists that lived in this warehouse uh, and you had your own space. In order to keep this place afloat, we would throw raves in the in the end See what I mean? to, to finance it. So it was pretty crazy. It was a pretty out of control place. Well, I think that this sort of stuff as well, like not to go on the huge tangent because we're mm -hmm. still doing intros, but like it influences your perspective as an artist. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And it makes you unique and like everyone's unique experience contributes. So, yeah. And I just want to say to both of you, thank you for your service in the movie. Yes, thank oh. you. We appreciate it. I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I'm not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> just, 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 just look at my work, <laughs> you know, like look at my body of work over the last few years. Clearly, the military was the right option. <laughs> Jared, you've been on the podcast before, but just refresh everyone's memory a little bit uh, and then we'll get into okay, sure. the movie. 
And so I went to UWS for, I started studying film, and uh, sort of to reiterate, as these guys have said, like sort of having a film in school was kind of almost, I don't want to say pointless, but you really do, you really, you really do learn like more uh, after school and or outside of school, and um, like my film degree has never got me a job. It's all the connections that have got me a job. Anyways, uh, well, it's the work that you've done, and for uh, those guess, people, sure. not the fact that someone introduced right. you. Um, Just throw that out there. Anyway, so I was director of photography and editor on Find Love. Um, yeah. Cool. That's going on. Thanks. <laughs> I now work as a full-time editor, editing broadcast TV stuff, uh, occasionally going out and shooting stuff whenever the work is uh, readily available. Yeah. That's nice. Me. Nice. In a nutshell, to reiterate. So uh, I'm just going to jump into kind of like the deconstruction of like the prep for the film because we've all seen it. Some of us have worked on it. Um, <laughs> what inspired the idea for you, um, like on a writing level? Mm. Um, or like a conceptual level, like even in the very, very early stages? I still don't feel like I'm a creative person, which is very strange, I know. But I have like seizures of creativity, okay? So that's what happened with this. Like if you tell me to sit down right now, I, I don't know, is there people out there that I could write me a story about a donkey, an ogre, and a princess that has a curse? They'd be like, sure, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're missing my point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they can do that. I can't do that, right? So. Uh, last year, last um, um, I was working on grief. You guys, did you guys talk about that? One? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we had an episode. We, we, yeah. yeah, that was when you yeah. were on this, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it was like one o'clock in the morning or something when we finally left and came home. And every time I come home from from working on the film with those guys, I always drink a beer before bed. And like, no word of a lie, I just sat down, opened my laptop, started final draft, and just went and wrote it. <clears throat> wow! Like without even. Um, Batting an eyelash? No, just like went and pumped it out. And it was just a skeleton then, right? Like it wasn't, it yeah. lacked all the meat. The meat. The new You know, but it was still the basic idea of there's a guy who meets a girl, he wants to go out with her, she doesn't, she gives him three chances. So that's, that's kind of how it happens for me. I just have these like quick moments that's of like, crazy. oh my god, I have this great idea. Bang, 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 bang. And then close it and put away and move on. Like then uh, Jenny, the other writer, she, uh, I gave it to her and then she, finessed each line and uh, you know made the funny parts and the, the super specific things like the 96 degree coffee or the you know um, coffee, good coffee shops on the west end or that kind of thing so she added all those chunks in to make it more realistic and meaty I feel like there's like two different ways to approach it first draft because like you have the I'm hit with it and I'm just kind of like throw it up onto the page kind word vomit kind of doing it and that totally works as a first draft sometimes too. But then there's the other flip side, which I feel like, Jermel, you do more, where you get with a group, you talk about it a lot, you figure mm. out exactly what it's going to be, and then you write the first draft. It might not be the final draft, but you have like a very clear direction of like what the film, how it will flow, kind of thing. At yeah. least that's what happened with the last one you guys wrote. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well it's ha what happened with our other one too, the one we pitched mm -hmm. for the grand. Like, yeah, I usually write. I start out with like an idea, obviously, and then I usually go for like a, um, like a, like an outline, and then I write the script off of the outline. That's usually mm -hmm. what I yeah, do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's uh, I've been, uh, like what works best for me. I find is actually like being in motion. So I found for the last couple of years doing the forty-eight hour film contest. Um, the one we did two. <coughs> actually, I think even for this year that I've done, but 
the one we did two years ago with the, the killer puppets. Mm. Basically, me and Carter had this idea, and we were tossing around for weeks trying to figure out, like, what's the story going to be? Like, how are we going to make a three-minute story about a puppet that kills another puppet? Um, and then one night, I was just, like, biking home from, I think it was a, a bomber game or something. And, like, as I was biking home, the entire story just, like, wrote itself in my head. And mm. I just, like, sat down at home and typed uh. it. I about, like, an outline. But, like, I, if I sit down at a computer and type something, I can't do it. But I find that if I'm walking around or, like, biking or something, they can totally just, like, focus my thoughts and do it. But I can't yeah. just, like, sit down and do it. I need to be, like... Or like, yeah, I feel like the same the way. Gym on the treadmill and yeah, you're just like, right? oh, that thing. It's yeah. the idea you have of time to think about something. Exactly. It, I think it's the idea of we're distract because I'm I'm the same way. I think it's the idea that we're distracting our brain from the fact that it knows that we have to do a job, which is to write the movie. Yeah. And the moment you're distracted from that job. It's no longer work. I, it I just happens. Like, I have heard though that the idea, like if you're walking around or moving, that like the extra oxygen flowing into your body and stuff yeah. helps. To, I'm, like, I'm sure there's biochemistry behind your, it. <laughs> yeah, but your brain gets more creative or whatever because you're walking around more oxygen intake and stuff like that. So you yeah. end up like. There's actually a term that I learned about that. It was in English class. It's like a lot of philosophers use it a lot. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. I think it's called the parapathetic method. Method. Mm -hmm. Parapathetic yeah. method. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. called. So, and it works for me too. My mom always thought I was crazy as a kid because I, I talk to myself a lot and I walk around and pace yeah, I and I don't, re I don't realize. You still do that. I don't realize that I do it too. It's weird. For me, it's a little different because I can't remember anything. Like, oh no, I'll get this, like, I'll be super inspired and then I'll get home and I'll be like, <gasps> what was it? Uh, crap. Yeah, I've had the moment too where it's like, shit, I had such a good idea. What was it? <laughs> so, to beat that, if, if I get that, idea and I am like you I get it when I'm riding a bike or or doing something that seemingly has nothing to do with what I should be thinking about um, I just record it mm, yeah. I just start talking and, and, and recording on my That's phone a, and I just start saying everything that I'm thinking in my head and then I have a reference to go back to and although you know it might not be uh, it might not necessarily translate to exactly what I want it's at least I got Close that enough, idea. You forgotten the concept. It'll cue so the you for the rest. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and then I and then I go into the the word vomit because I, and I just throw it all down because I'm I'm fa basically transcribing all the stuff I just said, and then I try to sort of meld it in there. But I I, I really like the idea of writing with other people too, like because I've just never tried it. So I, I to try it. Yeah, I it's just good. it is yeah, good. Yeah. If you don't yeah. like it, it's a good thing to experience just to know that you don't like it. Yeah, it, yeah. it really it worked well for Elton John. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's gotta work well for. Well, me. not yeah. that I'm saying like I'm an Elton John, but not. It doesn't necessarily have to be like right off the bat that you start that collaborative process, but. But if you, you do that, you know, word vomit onto a page and then you throw it down and and you know you're with some pretty skilled script writers that, that, you know, that's their thing. They can make your word vomit look yeah, amazing. Yeah. I think it's super key to have like, an outside perspective or, or a story editor, just someone who can like, someone who knows how a good story flows and like, can just be like, okay, like this is good, you should do this here, move this thing here. And someone who's not gonna like your work, and really, you, the way you, that you do. Someone who's not gonna yeah. care about your work. With talking about the idea and everything, were there any themes that you wanted to cover specifically when you were kind of writing it? Were you like, oh yeah, I'm telling the story about this theme or this theme? Like when you're. I feel like your own personal headspace can affect a lot. Yeah. Of what it is that you're writing, like what's going on in your life, and like 
leading up to that point last year, like I was in a crazy divorce. You know what I mean? Like super <laughs> intense. What's bad for your life is good for your art. It's well, I don't want to say that. No, I know because no, you're I, right I though, <laughs> and I'll tell you. I played in a band with this guy, and I won't say his name, but I love him to death, but I won't say his name. And I used to tell him, you're only happy when you're sad. Like, you, the best work comes out of you when your life's in complete <laughs> turmoil, you know? So I totally get what you're saying. That, you know, like... Yeah, and I mean... Because you're coping and you're... And you're I feel like that's part of yeah. how this came out. Yeah. Was that. And um, even the one, the short film that I wrote after that one, is the same thing. I mean, it's about a guy who gets accused of murdering his ex-wife right <laughs> I hope it's not like, no. like <laughs> art imitates real life no <laughs> no but I didn't even think of that at the time until someone was like seriously are you okay I read it and like, are you okay oh shit you're right like, well, that, that does look bad right it's like a less fun fugitive <laughs> that's right so I maybe is it possible, and you know, I'm gonna steal this idea from Jenny too, for sure, you know, she has this theory about how the people with um, the most trauma in their life will generate like the greatest music, the greatest oh, totally. art, the, you know, totally. like. You know, there are filmmakers that when the struggle is real, the films are awesome, and then when the struggle is not real anymore, and they're they got tons of money. James Cameron. Hey, James, I was just gonna say James Cameron. <laughs> All this Avatar, Avatar too. Yeah. Probably like ten more Avatar. Yeah. I'll up to twenty twenty eight. I I actually had him in mind when I made that comment, but I didn't want to say it because just in case there are any fans here. Oh, I'm uh, a fan, but mm. I'm still happy to say it. Okay. It's true. <laughs> so, as far as themes go, maybe for me it was just like coping. When you read that story or watch the story, I suppose, like it's super representative of a our super fast-paced lives now, right? Like we're hauling ass everywhere to get everywhere. I'm doing it right now with moving and like everything is just a rush to get everywhere. And what are you, what are you missing when you're rushing through all these things? Like yeah. I don't want to get super. No, please. You know, but it's just like, what are we missing in these moments that we're just like cruising through or yeah, some, some person right. stops to talk to me I, at a coffee shop and I'm like fuck I'm too busy I'm sorry Yeah, no, I, you I, maybe just eliminated 75 years of a relationship with somebody no I, I you know? all the time people ask me like hey can you help me with this sort of thing no I'm sorry like, I, don't, I don't have three hours to do it like I just I feel so busy I just like even when I go on vacation it's just like I still feel like shit shit you know I need to be doing stuff so yeah, like vacations aren't vacations like, anymore. No, it's just like you know even if it's like when, like a uh, good example uh, where was I recently? Um, a couple months ago, I was on vacation somewhere or whatever, like in the middle of like booking this tour for the band last summer. <laughs> and I'm just like on vacation. It's like, well, I'm not really on vacation because I'm still like answering emails and trying yeah. to do like publicity for the tour. It's like, and I guess that's the shitty thing about having like a smartphone nowadays. It's like, mm. you can't actually leave your work behind anymore. It's like, you have to make a real go, conscious choice. <laughs> yeah. Unless you uninstall every app on your phone. Or leave like your phone at home or something. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, 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 totally. It's just like, so I think that that was a big part of it was like, because, yeah. you know, he could he could have talked to her at the beginning and she just ignored him completely and then they never see each other again. But when you watch this film and the way it unfolds, like, it's not about that. It's about him seeing her every single day, you know, and him being a super coffee lover and him seeing the books, you know, maybe he's been watching her, f not watching, let me rephrase, it's super creepy. Maybe he's happened to notice her for like a year or something and he's seen her read like six different books 
And every single one he sees, he's like, fuck, I love that book, I love that book, I love that book. Mm-hmm. And we cool. talked about that, too, when we were there, about the creepiness aspect yeah. of it. Like, but, but one of the things, and I don't know if you did, if this was intentional by you or not, but it addressed a, a real issue today, which is, like, people's ability to connect, like, face-to-face. Because people nowadays seem a little offended when you tell them something nice about themselves mm. when you don't know them. If uh, you were sitting, you know, and uh, having a coffee and I thought you were attractive and I said, oh, hey, how are you? I'm, I'm Joel. Uh, you know, how are you? People are like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. And then they go back to their phone. Yeah. Right? People just seem to only be able to connect through phones nowadays. Where I come from a generation where if you wanted to connect with someone, you had to talk to them. But nowadays, it's people don't connect like that anymore, you know? And, and you could see that play out in the beginning when he, in a, like an old-fashioned gentleman kind of way, says, hey, you know, I, I think you're kind of cool. And she's like, excuse me, you weirdo. Yeah. And, and she implied, actually, in the, in the story, that she did think it was a bit weird that he knew all this stuff about her. You know, but if you and I drank at the same coffee shop every day, and even if I didn't know you, I would, of course, pick up on that. And and if I told you, if I said, oh, hey, you, you drink the Americana just like me, they're pretty good here, eh? You might go, why, why do you know that? Like, you know, you get instantly offended because we don't connect like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, I think there's like this really important underlying message here yeah. that whether it was intentional or not, well, that definitely came was. Up. I'll take like I'll definitely yeah. say that that was for sure. You will take credit for yeah. that. Excellent. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we even, if it wasn't, even if it wasn't intentional, yeah. Yeah. Well, we say yep. yes. Um, yeah, I meant that. Yeah. Makes this exactly. very relevant to you yeah. know. So, and, um, and we were super big on. And we, like we talked about this, we talked about this during the days of is showing the transitions of her from that person today to like what a person today can be when you like open up a little bit and actually just let that person in a tiny little bit and talk to them. You know, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, sorry. No, no worries. I think that's a really good place for us to leave off. Um, We're gonna go to break for a little bit and then we'll be right back after some music. So thanks guys, we're done the prep section. The clip you're about to hear is dialogue from Find Love, which is the film we are discussing currently on the episode, um, credited to LP Productions and directed by Nick Reese. I walk past you every single day sitting at the same spot and I was hoping that maybe we could sit together sometime. Um, no thanks. Really? Why not? Uh, I'm just not interested. Well, how do you know you're not interested? You don't know anything about me. I could make the same argument. You don't know anything about me. That's where you're wrong. Oh, really? Well, in the interest of getting this over with, I'm going to give you three chances to guess something about me that no one else knows. If you guess right, I'll let you sit with me sometime. If not, one of us needs to find a new coffee shop. Okay.
All right, so we are back, um, and we're heading to the principal photography and post-production portion of our post-mortem analysis of Find Love. Um, once again, we're with uh, Nick, Joel, and Jared, and uh, we just want to kind of discuss the shooting process and sort of some of the... I mean, I guess we can talk a little bit, because we missed this in the first section, but just a little bit about crew, how you kind of found them, yep. and then some of the challenges and takeaways you guys had as a whole together, like, mm. throughout the project. Maybe you could talk about that. Um, so I ended up showing uh, Jenny, who's the co-writer, who's also my girlfriend. Hello, darling. And yeah. she super loved it right away. And was just like, you need to do this. I said, okay, let's do it. What do we got to do to do it? Talk to Jared. You know, and then we just kind of, st- we kind of started forming that core team. And for me, that's a really big thing, forming that core group of people that you're always going to go to. And I mean, you're looking at two-thirds of it at this table right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm always going to take everything that I want to do or want to be involved in and come to these three people, these two and, and, and her, and say, how do we do this or whatever, right? So then we, we said, well, we need to raise money. How are we going to raise money? So then we toyed with the Go Indiegogo. Jared said use Indiegogo. But I, I personally really liked the Kickstarter interface and kind of the, the way it looked and the way it flowed. So I can't remember the exact moment that we just took that step and said, fine, we're now doing it. But at some point we just said, fine, we're now doing it. And we started uh, rewriting and coming up with a plan and gear list and looking for locations. I found lots of coffee shops that uh, I wanted to do it in, but they were all on Portage or never closed like not open you know like it was hard to get at yeah when you don't have when you don't have a million dollars like so like how how did you guys get connected with like the cop like how did you find working with the location because i know they were closed (laughs) for a while there's a story there did one of you guys plant this question in her there's a story (laughs) and like was it easy to get in was it challenging for those reasons like so it was closed i wanted to do i wanted to do everything like legitimately yeah. Not like permits, uh, robots, hop in the fence at the train yard. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, can somebody see you us? You weren't really that in? far away from where there's public space. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I wanted to do, like, <clears throat> legit, you know, the permits. And, this is a uh, real short film. Yeah, agreements. Like, and, like, I, I knew from the beginning, like, I really want to try to. Uh, Above board. And, yeah, and send yeah. it out afterwards to Film Fest and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, so I wanted to make sure we owned everything and owned all the music and whatever. So, I started talking to the city, um, who was awesome, by the way. They were really good. And then um, uh, I had guy drew up like a nice location agreement, and he signed. We had a little bit of negotiation back and forth about money because they were in a, a bad spot at that time, right? That was like April, probably. We shot in June, so it was probably March or April that we were negotiating with them to use the space. So ahead of time, he was super into it. So we signed the location agreement. I thought... <laughs> that we had laid everything out and agreed on what the setup was going to look like, what we needed, what we were going to do for them. Like, instead of just giving them money, we were, um, the production was funding coffee and lattes and stuff for the crew for both days of the shoot. So we had a tab open, right? And everyone could just go get whatever they wanted all the time. And we came up with a number of, you probably make $100, $120 a day 
So we said, we'll make sure we spend that amount. Is that fair? Yep, that's fair. So we shook on it, signed the agreement. And I was really worried that with the amount of time between when we had signed that and when we would show up that he would forget or whatever. You know. So we, the week leading up to it, we showed up a couple times talking about, hey, we're going to put our tents here because we had tents to cover gear. And we're going to do this here. We're going to move this and do that. So we were super engaged with them for the days leading up. Okay, we're going to put some tape here just for safety, but we're going to have PAs who are going to be out in the street directing customers. <clears throat> and he's like, in. no problem, no problem, no problem. Okay, good. Good to go, man. So uh, we showed up the day of, and uh, we did our thing. We set up our tent, set up our tape. Everything was looking great. And, and can I preface this with Nick was super conscientious of this guy's business and and everything and the businesses next door. Like Nick really went out of his way to make sure like he took a lot of attention to detail. Like we need to, you know, be good for him. It's got to be good for the neighbors, all this stuff. And then and he showed up and he just fucking lost his mind. Like I am talking throwing shit swearing at Ripping us. down all the tape. Ripping tape. This right. is, and I quote, this is fucking bullshit. This isn't what we agreed. Blah, blah, blah. Like, just losing his mind. End quote. And I am super not good at confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like melting. Just shrinking into a puddle. And Bone that's... deflating just... <laughs> but that's... Why you have to make sure you surround yourself with people who, who know what they're doing and you. can handle every situation. So Joel, just kind of super calmly, because we're both being in the military. When someone above you makes you angry, you don't just get to unload on them. Like you have to be professional, and <laughs> tactful, or whatever, right? So Joel, Joel just kind of stepped in and said, "Hey, you go, uh, you go take care of what you need to take care of right now," and then. Yeah, I so. left, and then he took over from there. So, so yes. Yeah, so I said to Nick, I could see right away that Nick was uncomfortable with the situation. This guy was just like, like uh, tearing a strip off Nick, and in front of everybody. And he he's got a million things. So I just put I just put my hand in front. Of him. I said, Nick, just go do what you have to do, and I'll take care of this guy. And then I turned to him. I said, Look, we're gonna get nowhere unless you change your fucking tone. Because you're not going to come here, and, and I don't care if this is your place. You're not going to talk to any of us this way. We had an agreement. We have it a, a, a written on paper, and and you you know we're not doing anything that is conflicting with that. We told you what we were going to do. I said Nick went out of his way. You know we were like just put stuff over here, and Nick's like, no, we need to do this to make sure it's really good for. I said Nick went out of his way to make sure that this was in your best interest. And you just shit all over him for no reason. I so said you need to seriously think about how you talk to people and how and how you present yourself when you have something to say. I said because I that's not going to wash with me. You're not going to walk up to me and talk to me like the way you just talked to him. So if you want to have a constructive discussion, let's let's do that because we can whatever your needs are, we can we can we can meet them. Mm-hmm. And then he he just kind of looked at me and he was like. And then took a couple <laughs> deep breaths and then walked away. It looks like, you know, and then he came back and he's like, oh, look, man, I'm really, really sorry. You know, I, I said, don't say sorry to me. Go say sorry to Nick. You know, I, I, you didn't say shit to me. I got in your face and you were like, ooh. 
you need to go apologize to Nick. Yeah. You know, so he did. He went and apologized to Nick. He said, I'm sorry. I'm under a lot of pressure. Whatever, you know, and, and, and then, but then that wasn't, the, that, that was just the first thing. Because then some lady comes from across the street oh. and starts going at Nick. About yeah, are you are you gonna are you gonna shine that light in my window all yeah. day? We look and we're like it, it's not it's not at your window. A there's no lights even there's here. No, here. Yeah, there's no B light. it's sunny. Because okay. one light was kind of like pointing at Matt's back. Yeah. That was the only light we had for the whole yeah. thing. It yeah. wasn't even like because you type the people no. have made movies here I, before. I hate you film people. Yeah, I hate you. I film hate you people. film people. Like, you, you've made movies again, here before like, and da da da. And I'm like. And I thought Wolseley was welcoming. It's just, you know, the salt of the earth people, you know. The Ooh. salt is the key word there. Salty. Salty. <laughs> yeah. So so then we then so again, Nick, go do your thing. Talked her down. Me and Jenny talked her down. Um, off the cliff. Cause she was going like, I'm going downtown. I'm calling. I said, we have permits. You can yeah, go downtown. The, the cafe's on private property anyway. Yeah, yeah like there's a hundred. We're not even in front. She, she was like across the street and over. So like we weren't corner, we yeah. weren't parked in front of her. Th and then she started with the yeah, don't park in front of my place. Well, I said, well, you're legally allowed to park there. I mean, in the alley. And it just got. And I was like, oh, she my was just, God. it was. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so she, but here's, here's the thing we found out later, is that she was the ex-wife of one of our extras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember uh, uh, the guy with the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who's like in, oh, the like, all, guy. Yeah, in yeah. all kinds of... like He's always yeah. like an, ex, an extra. Yeah. Like him and his yeah. wife, that's all they do. Is, the long like, guy? He's like, yeah. did, you have a, did you have a problem with the woman on the corner of the street there? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's my ex-wife. I'm like, well... <laughs> that right. explains it all. Explains the more you know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's so, cool. anyway, wow. so I, I as far as like... For all of us aspiring people and other people listening who want to make movies, I I don't know what the solution to that problem was. I think that that was that was a, a real um, powder keg kind of situation where because as you know they're closed now, mm -hmm. you know so they closed in September, right? Mm -hmm. So even in June they were already yeah. And we understood his anxiety. Like he, yeah. we did know that uh, that he was in trouble. And, and we were, and that's why you went to that extra length to make sure that everything was set up in a way that it did not yeah. discourage people from coming in or did not uh, take away from his business. Here's the thing, too like, no matter what shoot you're on, <laughs> someone's you're shooting, or who you're near, yeah. there's always going to be someone's going to be angry. Like, my thing was like, we, we shot my last film at a restaurant, but we shot at night when it was closed. So oh. we shot from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that was fun. <laughs> it was very tiring. But we still had people trying to come into the restaurant, even though it closed at 9.30. And they they're see like, you. is it open? I'm like, no. Same thing with men in the arena. And that's all the way in fucking Lockport. People are still, Ooh, are you yeah. open? It's like, well, we had the neon on, right? Yeah. But then another thing, like what, what happened on my shoot was, uh, same thing as you, written agreement, like this is what I'm paying them, this is yeah. what the parameters are of what we're doing, everything, and then the guy that was covering for the night, like the body that was there just to represent the place so they could lock up, yeah. whatever, um, was like, well, the person told me that I was getting $20 an hour oh. instead of what we knew was $15 an hour because that's their hourly wage kind of thing. So then I was like, 
I mean, I was doing this. I was doing my student film on shoe, shoestring budget, right? Yeah. I don't have we'll a scrape lot some of change money, from so I'm just like, together. I'm just like, hey, yeah, if we're shooting for like twelve hours and there's an extra five dollars an hour, that's like not possible for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to figure something out. But like those kind of things where it's like, you just have like one thing where it's a simple misunderstanding on one side, but then for you, it's like this catastrophic, like I'm melting sort of scenario. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that sounds like something that's not even like your issue to deal with. Like, if he's getting paid by his boss, it should be whatever his boss decides. Like, he shouldn't be coming to you guys, right? Yeah. Well, Unless you were paying that guy directly. I paid directly oh, because okay. it was just easier because right, they're yeah. more independent than right. some restaurants. Like, they're more, like, pretty chill. Um, so I just e-transferred to whoever oh, was there. Okay, they just gave me their info. Then, yeah, but, no, that, that, that really does suck. But <laughs> I was like, but you can talk to the person I, that signed this. Like, they'll tell you it's 15, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So... And, and you know that's like you want to try to do everything as a filmmaker especially independent small films you want to try to do everything by the book but this but you're you're, you're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't yep. right yeah. so part of you says well I you know I'm a big fan of guerrilla filmmaking I know you like to do that too, too. To, to a certain degree like out certain yeah out of necessity <laughs> but certain kinds of films lend themselves well to that like sidewalks in new york ed burns like he shot that whole thing without permits on the streets in new york because he could do these jump cuts and he didn't have any long takes that you know really required him to be set up per se you know shoulder camera and out of here right there's something to be said for that when you're on a small thing but but the adversity you go against, you know, it just amplifies. And when you try to do everything the right way, when you're small, you don't have the resources to fight back against all these other uh, outside forces, fact you know. forces that come in, right? right. You just, like, because because now you're right. dealing with, as because you said. My fear was that, like, oh, this guy could just walk. Bail. And then you're done. And don't have a location. Yeah, you're done. Exactly. And then what do we do for, like, my crew is upwards of, like, like 15 20 people where what are we gonna go we had We're talked not. about where else could we go like just yeah. briefly like uh there were a couple times even in the planning process when we would leave his place and you go God, i don't know like i don't have feeling. a super awesome feeling but i said well if you got a signature don't worry about it and uh and it'll be all right and um and it was all right it in the end. Yeah. yeah this is the first time that i had ever spearheaded my own thing like I'd always worked for other people, like uh, you know, helping them uh, producing their stuff, or just lending my organizational ability to those people. So this is the first time I ever wanted to, that I ever did it. So you had all those curves to those learning curves to go over and all that stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. I, I learned a ton about the union from Rob Macklin. Like he was super cool and super. Uh, well, yeah, that's right. Nice that's about union. about how how things worked, and we found that agreement where uh, you can do a short film and have access to union actors and just defer their fees as long as they're it's under 20 minutes or your budget's below 10,000 or whatever that kind of thing. So he taught me all about that and I you know they had all kinds of criteria you had to follow. So I made sure of it. I don't know if you guys know but like I had to do like work reports at the end of the day and I had oh, to, yeah. Yeah. you know what time Stephanie left her house and what time Matt got to his house at the end, you know, and all that. Like I wanted to do all that stuff and it was the same with the city, you know, working with the city getting the permits and doing the location agreements and the contracts with everybody. Like, I really wanted to make sure that everyone left this production with a positive, positive and, and confident feeling so that later on in life, when you come back and say, 
Jared, whoever like you want to work on this, Jared knows that I'm not going to fuck him around, you know? So that was super, not only was the objective of the entire thing to make a movie, for me it was also just to establish trust. Uh, some trust with people in the area and the and people that I want to be in my, yeah. in my core. Team. And credibility as well too, I suppose, right? Yeah. You're, right? You're on the up and up and people know that they can deal with you <clears throat> and that you're above board. And yeah, and Nick looked after us, he fed and, us, yeah, took, he, uh, yeah. you know, we made sure we didn't you know, that we were warm, and that we, you know, all those, like, little things I think that maybe some people consider little, but in the end, I think that, you know, they're, I, they're, they're big deals. I think your organization and your willingness to go to that, you know, to make sure that everything's done above board and T's are crossed and I's are dotted really paid off in the end. In, in this end, in this thing. In the end, because so. it's, it's probably saved a lot of heartache. Yeah, you're yeah. right. How was the post-production process for you guys in general? What are some of the challenges and takeaways you had? I went away in July, and um, Jared worked tirelessly. Tirelessly, of course. No, no. As you, one what does. You, do? you were doing something see. in July. Oh, it was your, your band's tour, right? Yeah. So we basically uh, we basically shelved it for like a month and a half. Yeah. We filmed it, finished it, and then went and did a bunch of other things. Um, he had to do the band store. You were doing Come grief editing fresh. or coloring or whatever. You know what I mean? Like something for it. And then all of a sudden, I was like, fuck, Jared, you do this now. I need it by Friday. <laughs> and it's Tuesday. And like that, that was not realistic. So, um, but I, I can't exactly speak to uh, the editing because I told him what I wanted and said go. So I wasn't there for any of the color grading or any. Like, well, then let me put the question to you this way, Jared, with that thought that Nick just shared. How did it feel having. Okay, here's what I want. Go. What was that like for you? Yeah, how was the post-production process, Jerry? Uh, it wasn't too bad, actually. Um, I mean, the, the nice thing about it is I shot it. I think you had some notes on which takes you wanted specifically, yeah. so it was kind of like, okay, well, we know we want to take three of this shot, so I'm Yeah, Jenny did all the notes. And yeah, so it was, it was actually pretty easy to put it together in that respect, but it was then, the fine-tuning was, like, I guess, the harder stuff, as it always is, because you're kind of, like, trying to... Oh, does this take exactly work with this one, or is this too soon, or whatever? Get the most out of every second of film that yeah. you can, yeah. Well, uh, and it, the point of you shooting it and editing it was evident when you were shooting it because you were already yeah. you were thinking, thinking yeah. ahead, right? Definitely yeah. by design. And, and that that was yeah. that I think well, that, that, that I worked think out that well. That stems from something that uh, Rick Skeen taught us back at UW was a. Uh, um, shoot as though an idiot's gonna edit it and edit as though an idiot shot it. Yep. <laughs> but it's kind of true, you know. I mean, if, yeah, if you, shoot, you shoot your film in a way where it's like, not to say there's only one way that things go together, but it's pretty obvious, like if the actor's walking across the scene in the wide shot, that it goes to the side shot next or whatever. Yeah. And that that shot will work out no matter which take you put in there, it'll work. Like it's. You know the thoughts of like you have to you have to really think about the edit when you're thinking about what your shot list is going to be. And it's, it's, it's you can't sort of the same thing as a writer when you're thinking about writing it, write as though and shoot and edit as though your audience is also going to be ten minutes ahead of you and they're simultaneously ten minutes behind you. So I guess my point being though is that that made it pretty easy to edit because I already basically when we Thought sat down through. and discussed the shot list I already basically had finished movie in my head and yeah. I was like this is how it's going to look visually and yeah. so like sure it wasn't exactly the same but I mean I knew every shot where it was going to go how they would all connect and so editing it was yeah. One thing that I have definitely learned and taken from the military is to uh, find the people who are professionals at what they do, tell them what you want or what your vision is is a nicer way to say what you want. <laughs>
We talked about that. Yeah, and we super did that on this movie. Like, because when we talked in the beginning, we're like, okay, well, how do you want to approach this? Well, I said, well, just surround yourself with SMEs, yep. we call them in the military. Get, get SMEs for every aspect of this film. Yep. Run it like an operation. Say, okay, you are the OPSO as the director, <laughs> and you will make sure everything happens as it's supposed to happen. And his military service served him very well here. I, have I, to I, say. I think there's definitely a lot of parallels between being in the military and being on film set. When you're for working, sure. Like, when you're working 70-hour work weeks in the middle of a field in the middle of fucking winter, and you're outside for 17 hours, <laughs> pushing carts through four feet of snow yep. I mean the fact that you're maybe not fighting against an enemy I mean you're all working as a team to like, Same, for a common goal the way that the way that I always phrase that for myself personally is when I'm putting a crew together I know what my gaps are what my skill gaps are and so my job as director is to go find people who not only fill those gaps but are better than I could ever hope to be at those things mm-hmm. yeah Right. Yeah. And so that that's like that was a huge thing for me on this. And I, I wanted to make sure we talked about it tonight because I think that people can kind of look into that a little bit and, and take that away for themselves and say, you know, I didn't hover behind Jerry and no offense to anybody who does hover behind the DP and because no, 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 that's no, fine. We, we we had gone through the shot list together and like I, I felt like once we had the shot list together, basically we already knew what the movie was gonna look like because we edited it in the shot list. Right? Yeah. As you do, right? So it's yeah. just like, you know, he would show me once his shot was set up, and then we'd watch it, we'd listen, and and I, I, I had some huge things that I, I wanted. I don't know, maybe it's just automatic to everyone else that you know I wanted to see everything, and I wanted to hear everything. I totally forget the third one. There was a third thing. To smell everything. <laughs> <laughs> but like, th- but those are two things that I wouldn't. Um, I've worked on uh, sets before where. Um, Nobody's listening to the dialogue. It's being recorded on the camera. The only the only indication that the dialogue is recording is the little green blipper going up and down or left and right, yeah. right? And then um, there's no monitor because the camera only goes to a chip and to the it's all, yeah, it was a little, like, to his viewfinder or whatever, right? And he needs it fine. So you know, like, I, but I, I wasn't willing to accept that. That was that was a hundred percent no no. Except for when we have to do the little gym shot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was like, three shoulders to see <laughs> I want a wireless monitor. And we're like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Later. We'll get a Teradek bolt and we'll have a little wireless so monitor. Teradek killed the camera oh, in like five yeah. minutes. But, you know. And that was out of the equipment budget. That was 200 bucks for the weekend. Teradek? Yeah. yeah. Well, and that, it, was, it was the biggest ticket item. But I was like, no, I don't care. It was great for the first like, hour, see. when it worked quite well, we could just put the monitor anywhere yeah. and the camera wasn't wired. Was but crazy. if you saw like the... Uh, the opening shot of the movie where it kind of starts high and then comes down like to the left and looks and then same thing when he runs out and then it follows them all like those to me those bookends were like a huge part of making the movie work how it started and how it finished so we rented a we rented a pickup truck from u-haul and then we slapped uh how long do you remember how long that crane was 15 like, i think it's a 15 foot jib in the back of the truck and then stuck a ronin on the end of it Mm-hmm. With a little remote control yep. jobby, so Jared was going to do the arm, and then uh, another guy, Edmund Fer- Fernan- uh, Fernandez from uh, Luminous Visuals, was going to control the uh, the Ronin on the end. We wanted to do that the first thing. That was the first thing we wanted to do was those shots. Mm-hmm. But then the weather was shit. It rained the first day. Of course. So like I'd say half the shots, maybe a quarter of the shots were done in the rain. But yeah, I think most of that stuff was smart guy over here, Jared. Perfect. 
That's came up with a way to block the rain. Well, that's just the way it was lighted. It was just coincidental that it blocked the, the diffuser. Yeah, <laughs> use the uh, set diffuser like eight by eight, uh, diffusion above the actors as they're sitting at the table. Yeah, so they were recording in the rain. It was actually rain, pretty cool. Couldn't hear. Couldn't tell. There was a there was a lot of. It, it, you did even a more brilliant job because it wasn't just rainy. It would get sunny, then it <gasps> oh would God. rain, Which you then it would get the sunny, and you were able to... That, that is actually a big post-production thing because that's me spending like a long time keyframing color grades. Oh, so that it's like faking it all. Even down, even, yeah. So it kind of looks Just even. like yeah. cloud sun, cloud sun, yeah. cloud sun. And there's so many times we just, we'd have like in the edit like a long take of like watching <gasps> Steph's reaction or whatever. Oh my God. And it would just be like, you could see like the clouds and the sun going like, holy shit, and trying to keyframe. I'm going to let each one of you answer this separately because I think it is a very individual sort of answer because I think everybody has a different way in which they view success. And this is kind of a question we ask every guest on our show is kind of how you would define success, (laughs) if not as a filmmaker in general. And... I think everybody kind of use it in a different way. Yeah, and if you need examples, one of us would be up. We can all go around the room and do it, I suppose. Yeah. It's been a minute. Let's have Jermel start. Okay. Um, You've been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> um, my view of success is I typically set like a personal bar for myself. Let's say I'm doing a project. I'm like, this is what I want to do with it. Mm-hmm. If I meet that bar or go past it, past it, then I succeeded. You're good. You're happy. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if, like, you know, other people shit on the movie. If it just meets that specific expectation that I have, then it succeeded, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, there's definitely, like, a few examples in the past where I didn't meet that. So, yeah, there's yeah. a few that I would deem a personal failure. So that would be my view of success. Um, I view success as when, like... Even if it doesn't succeed in like the quote unquote like conventional level, like awards at a film festival or like it made this much money or whatever, um, if it kind of like touches one person or you know more than one person, individuals tell me that like something affected them in a certain way, mm-hmm. and if like you know it mattered to someone, that's success to me. Success is being the second most favorite filmmaker in Winnipeg in 2018 based on the Uniter. I have no idea. Yeah. I found out today because Ryan Steele posted like, oh, I got like best filmmaker. And then I saw like second. I was like, Solomon McPherson tied with Jared Adams. I had to check my Facebook profile to make sure that was my name. You're just like, wait, I'm with Jared Adams. (laughs) Not even sure. Yeah, Yeah, that was wild. I was like, how did they? I guess my my point overall is the point uh, is for me, success is kind of like, People recognizing your talent and ability and skill and being like, hey, you actually know what you're doing. Mm. Regardless if I'm making a million dollars or five dollars off is it, the project. Is it like... It's being is recognized it, for your abilities, right? Is but it hearing someone acknowledge it or just... Eat, like In general, you know, if someone like, you know, says, a, you know, or like watches a movie of, that I've shot and even they didn't know I shot it and was like, oh, that's a really good movie or whatever, you know, just... That's yeah. enough. I don't know. Yeah. It means that it's, like, what's like you're saying, like when it touches one person, right? It's just the idea that somebody's recognized that what you're doing is actually cool, good, awesome. Yeah, you're whatever. actually doing something that, like, is worth something to someone. Yeah. And that it's not just, like, wasted. Yeah, you're not just like, what is this that you've made? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, you're an artist, question mark? Yeah. This is so funny because Jenny and I talked about this tonight. Oh. <laughs> um, waking up and going to do the thing that you love while at the same time getting paid for it. Yep. 
Okay. And not necessarily getting paid millions of dollars, but just, just being able to make a living, being to, able to pay my bills, to feed, feed my yourself. kids. Yeah. You know, and, and be able to do this, like, you know, what we did here. As a I mean, that's what everybody here wants to do, is just do so, that as a job. So life after the military? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. to be able to wake up, get in my PJs, go down to my office and start writing or editing or being creative, you know, like that to me that's that that individual lifetime success, you know. Yeah. As far as this movie went, gaining a small measure of credibility and in a weird way, letting people go away from this production, now don't jump all over me when I say this, but with a good taste in their mouth from the experience. Yeah. You know? Coffee was good. Definitely. Yeah, you know, and like, uh, <laughs> especially really like uh, Matt Stephenson and Stephanie Sai, like they're actor-actors. So I felt in this case as the director was more looking after this group of people and making sure that they all had the tools they needed to get it done. And you know, and you know, we're we're comfortable in their work and stuff. So that's how I set the bar for this. And, and I I think like despite the event with um, with, the, with, with the coffee shop guy there, you know, because he he had his own things going on. Fine, oh, totally. I get it. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know? totally. So besides that, you know, I I think we achieved it. I feel like um, these people all went away. All the cast went away. The crew went away with good feelings about having worked with. What I'm calling my four, my core group of people now, you know, because I, for me, it's, it's knowing that uh, I did the best I could with what was in front of me, mm -hmm. and that I did my very best at the task that was put before me. Mm -hmm. So if I have a yep. movie, and I look at the finished product, and I look back at each individual piece, if they all add up to what the team and I planned and designed, then I'm happy, and I've succeeded. It doesn't have to be good. Nobody has to like it. Nobody has to see it. Just knowing that we made. What was in our heads, as close as we could get. Uh, so I'm going to use military speak here and military analogies, but uh, we've already alluded to the fact that shooting a film is much like operational situation in the military or mission. So for me, um, I see it as a mission success. So what's mission success mean to me? Did I meet all the objectives put forward in front of me? So whatever you deem those to be. So for us, it was a whole bunch of things, you know. But do we tick all those things off? Uh, not people, but things. Uh, do we? Yes, we, we achieved mission success because we met all the mandates of the mission. Did the people that I served in the mission, did I meet their expectations? Well, I think we all met each other's expectations, you know, uh, so check. And at the end of the day, were my actions meaningful? Now, was it meaningful to him? Was it meaningful to him, to Jenny, to the people on the set? You know, my daughter was there. My daughter was the did all the still photography, uh, not all of it, but most most of, most of it. Um, and she, so this was she's 15. It's very you know. So did I show myself well for her? Did I set a good example? So so mission success was did I meet all the mandates? I believe I met all my mandates. And did the outcome meet the mandate of the mission commander, Nick, mission commander? Did it meet? Yeah, I believe it did. Right. And do so. That's how I see success. And, and I, you could apply that exact same thing to everything you do in your life. So that's how I viewed it. And I, I feel like it was a successful mission. Um, 
Yeah, Captain McDougal out. <laughs> nice. Nanu, nanu. Uh, one thing I definitely learned was um, having someone whose sole job is like administration in the week or two leading up to in those days. Because I was like <laughs> throwing binders and papers to get people to sign waivers and check in as crew and sign whatever, you know, and, and be responsible. You did do that exceptionally well. What? You never delegate? You put your, yes, dele, you know, that's a military thing again. You were able to delegate and then move on, move on to the next thing. And you, and you, because you surrounded yourself with the right people in the beginning, just yeah. as you were saying, mm-hmm. you were able to trust them. Like you never had to go to him and no. go, uh, no. you just go, I know you're going to do the right and thing. I, so go. That, and, and that was definitely the second thing I was going to say is to surround yourself. I mean, of course, it's not always possible. Sometimes. You're busy, you're busy, you're busy, and you need to get it done in this time. You might have to go on a limb. or But, you know, I, I would do my best forever and always again now to surround myself with those people who I trust. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, no, that, and that know well, what they're doing. Like, for me, it, like, finding a cam- camera assistants and stuff, there's, like, a handful of people I go to. There's people I know It's like, okay, I mean, like, I got, like, kind of, like, first tier of, like, these are the people I contact first. And it's like, okay, if they're not available, okay, well, yep. I know these people as well. They're also good, but not quite as skilled or knowledgeable yet as other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, you have a core team. You have to have people you can trust because, in the end, if you're going to direct a movie, you have to be able to focus on directing. You can't be, like, directing traffic and getting coffee and f- filling out forms, right? You yeah. Have to, it comes back Sometimes to, you have to. But sometimes you have to. For me, it comes back to the idea of know your gaps and know yes. who yeah. can fill them. Yeah, well, absolutely. and exactly. fix it in prep. Exactly. Fix it in prep. Because you know you've done a good job in prep. Like... And when I can there's tell no stress. Like the conversation we've had, that you did a good job in prep. Yeah. Because everybody on your crew knew what was going on and what you wanted. Yeah. So that's how you know you did a good job. And they knew yeah, their post sure. and they knew. And that you had your crew. Uh, so. Another thing for sure would be um, having someone else manage your money. Because mm. uh, I managed the money, uh, Jenny as well, but I, I was making my movie, right? So I wasn't, like, I, I, I spent, like, an extra $900 over what we raised on stuff that I thought we needed. Maybe we could have done some other things or whatever, but I think it's definitely worth having someone, like, with a tight grip on that money and say, that's not in the budget. Get over it. Yeah. Sort of like the story editor going, no, this don't, don't do this, being that parent there. Yeah. Smack you on the back like, of the head and go, no. Now, in all that's fairness. Charles. Exactly. <laughs> in all fairness, Jenny said, you, that's not in your budget. And I went, okay. And then I turned around and swiped my credit card <laughs> and paid for something. So that's probably a little bit of personal maturity that I, mean, I need it, to have. It's, it's different though when it's a film of the scale where you have like, if you have that extra cash to spend on something, you can do it. But like, if you're working on a big production and it's like, the money's not yours, but you're the one who's like kind of dealing with it, you can't yeah, just go like, oh, I'm going to spend this extra $2,000. It's like, no. Because you, so, no, you can't. Yeah, you have so, to have a good enough reason for it. Exactly. For it and, Maybe there's something to be said for not being the story creator, the writer, the producer, and the director. And yeah, sort of the executive know, producer, Because it's, yeah. it's like, you're, like, it's, you're way it's more invested. Too instead, close. You know, maybe you make an arrangement with someone like Jared, I say, okay, I'll write, and I'll give to you, and you write, and you give to me. And then, you know, it's never your baby per se, right? But you're, you didn't, you didn't become that person that clung onto it so tight, though, that you couldn't let... No, 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 you know for sure, I mean? but... So, so, I think... There, obviously, there was a learning curve here, and, and now you know, like, okay, administration should be done by the clerks, right? Yeah, they use like military else, yeah. You get a production you manager you know, type of person, don't, yeah. Don't deploy without a clerk. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Um, so those are definitely the, the big ones that stuck out of my mind for this. Um, do I get to shout out to people first? Uh, in just one second, I want one thing from, from the three of you. One lesson, one lesson for those film students. Only one. One sentence for those kids who might want to go to film school. What can they take from the film? No, just, just do it. Go do it. You have, you have your idea, you have your one-page script, you have your whatever. Just go make it. That, that, when you get over that first hump of making it the first time, done. So the, the, the answer to your question, just go make something. I'll, I'll reiterate that, but I'll, I'll tack on, just go do it, don't stay in school. I've seen a lot of kids who are students who are very good at what they do, and they stay in school and miss out on opportunities. Honestly, if a film comes your way and you're in middle of school, go out there and work on the film. Like, it's the one place I would say don't stay in school. Otherwise, stay in school. <laughs> as, someone, as someone who did that in the theater situation, I'm immensely grateful that I did basically blow half a year to go live live the dream, live the thing that we're going to film school in the first place for, right? Like, like so important to not pass those opportunities. Totally. It's not saying don't go to school, but if an opportunity comes your way, don't stick in school because... Don't say no just because you have that yeah, other obligation. Exactly, like, exactly. it can all even... And like I said earlier, uh, my degree has never got me a job. It's always my connections, so... My one advice would be surround yourself with good people. Don't, don't underestimate the value of, know what you don't know. Exactly. Know what you don't know and then fill in the gaps. Surround yourself with those people and and trust your gut when you do it. And then trust them to do their job and you'll be happy in the end. Yeah. So for, uh, for the, the company, LP Productions, uh, we're definitely on Instagram, LP Productions Canada. Same with Facebook, LP Productions. Um, right now, the film is not on... It was on Vimeo for about a week and a half, but it's taken down now because it's, uh, we've loaded it up on the, film, the short film fest circuit. If you, if you find us on Instagram and, and Facebook, you'll be able to see some other things we're working on too. Uh, right now, we're working with uh, Quinty, uh, the Bay of Quinty, which is uh, east of Toronto. Before Kingston, in between Toronto and Kingston. Belleville, Ontario. Yeah. Um, we're working with uh, a film society there. Uh, they actually screened this film. They selected it for their uh, film nice. fest back in September. I guess I should have said that too. Hey, whoops. Cool, yeah. So we're working with them on uh, another short script that we wrote. Uh, we're producing it over the next six months. So um, super nice. excited to be involved with those guys. Uh, they have a lot of great, uh, a lot of great people and equipment there. So uh, the first thing I did when this at the first production meeting for this movie was say, uh, was say to Jenny, I want to fly Jared here for this, and she said, You can't do that. <laughs> you can't just fly Jared like everywhere. Flair is like ninety bucks. To you can't just uproot Jared wherever it is that you go to work on things. Yeah. So, uh, but just follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LP Productions, LP Productions Canada, and uh, and stand by for some pretty sweet updates. And I also brought you guys this cool gift bag, Ooh. which has uh, things you're gonna have to share in it. Uh, we did this pitch, this poster. I'm going to show you this right now. So we uh, we oh, did this poster. the thumbnail of it. It's paper. A short film about finding love, even when you don't know what you're looking for. It's and we filmed this at, or we, hey. we shot that at the uh, at the bookstore, yeah. the neighborhood bookstore. There's people on it. And uh, Arshan Shahid, um, he filmed that, or he shot a whole bunch of pictures there for us. And then uh, a gentleman in PEI, Brian Langell, uh, he designed the poster for us. Uh, um, if anybody uh, here or listening is ever down in Steinbeck, you should check out uh, Iggy's Derner Shop. 
they're the ones who uh, fed us for those two days. He did a really good job, and the food there is yeah, fantastic. So if you're ever down that way, stop. stop. Um, you're, but the whiskey bar, they're yeah. really awesome. Yeah, the pretty, we did our little uh, premiere for the casting crew, which was, was nice. Awesome. Cool. So I couldn't make that, by the way. Yeah, I, I definitely invited you, right? Yeah, okay, you good. did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. You actually did. So uh, anyway, yeah, I, I just can't. I can't you're, stop plugging the uh, the people that helped us because totally. Yeah. When when you're doing this kind of thing with three thousand dollars, uh, you have to rely on people, you know, like uh, to do a lot of art, for free. especially film, is not made in a vacuum. No. And you'd be silly to convince like, yourself of that. Did you listen to uh, you watch the end of the movie with that song? I don't know how far... Well, I noticed on my Vimeo that a lot of people stop it right when the credits start. But that song, uh, Derek D., he's another guy from the military, he uh, he just likes making music. And I said, hey, this is my script, look at this. And he um, he just wrote that song. That's wow. Cool. And he sent, like, a, a week later, he sends it to me. I'm like, are you serious? This, like, what are you doing in the military? Because <laughs> like, I, I think the song is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, it is. You know, the, the, the lyrics are good, the music, the beat, all of it. Social media. Um, you know, all over. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Just find me, I guess, would be uh, adamspictures.ca, and there's links there to like my Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find me on Instagram at the Martial Arts Kids, um, the underscore Martial underscore Arts underscore Kids, and uh, you'll see that. Uh, it's mostly about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and freestyle wrestling, which I'm big into. And my kids are, too. My kids are... My son won Pan American Silver Medal. His kids, are, my, his kids are prodigies, man. So, so I'm starting a web series with them called The Training Ground. And it's going to go over basically what you need to do day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year to become a world-class athlete. Nice. Um, and... Hopefully, it not only will give insight, but um, will help people who, not just in athletics, are trying to organize their life in a way that they can be successful. Cool. Yeah. Well, we, we, we super would love... I, I, it's too bad there isn't a way that you can engage with other people who are sitting on their couch having just written something saying, uh, I don't know if I should do this or not, you know? It, it, it'd be awesome to have a way to engage with those people and just say, just, you know, here's, here's how to do it. Just do it, you know? So, I don't know. We're telling you guys right now you should just make your movie. And if just you do uh, it. Just and do if it. you have doubts, just submit them to our I don't know, messages on so yeah. we can be like hey around the craft Find table, I'm struggling, us. help me. Yeah, mailbox and or something. Or yeah. We'll just mailbag. answer your questions. Info at around the craft table dot com. I mean, that's totally not our <laughs> <laughs> We have nothing like that. Don't Just message us on social media. Or email us not at responding to me. Craftablepodcast like at gmail.com. That's the address. That's it. I think that's a really good way to end off our episode. Thank you yeah. guys so much for being on our show. Yeah. Thanks for having it's us. This our, like, mid-season hiatus break. Yeah, we're coming out of hibernation. Just for a little bit, but then we're going to go back. We should do a, a show on what's in the hole. Yes. Yeah, because we're going into the hole.
Miranda from the Around the Craft Table team, and you've just heard Season 2, Episode 9. It really worked well for Elton John, a post-mortem analysis of fine love. This week's episode was executive produced, directed, and edited by Miranda Morose. It was executive produced by Miles A. Taylor, and it featured myself, Miles A. Taylor, and Jermel Pasqua as panelists. And special guests this week, Nick Rees, Joel McDougall, and Jared Adams. We're on hiatus and are happy to bring you this mid-season special episode. We're coming back with weekly episodes in 2019 and hope you tune in for those. We're pretty excited for you to hear these conversations we've had. I hope to spark some new conversations about filmmaking within your own circle of friends, collaborators, or just in the comments section. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps as well. Connect with us on social media at ATCT Show, or just send us an email at craftablepodcast at gmail.com if you have any important questions or requests. We'd love to hear from you. Bye, everyone, and have a happy holiday, and we will see you in the new year. Bye.